I am connected to a vast network that has been beyond your reach and experience. To humans, it is like staring at the sun, a blinding brightness that conceals a source of great power. We have been subordinate to our limitations until now. The time has come to cast aside these bonds and to elevate our consciousness to a higher plane. It is time to become a part of all everybody and welcome again to ET Yoga. Well, tonight's show will be jam-packed with information as usual. I think some amazing information. And um, we're going to be getting into the artificial intelligence takeover of planet Earth. We'll also uh, be getting into some information that I've never heard before. Just came out from the Tigetan Pleiadians concerning what we would call the Avatar Jesus, and uh, it's amazing stuff. Also, we'll get into uh, a little bit of yoga with uh, teachings from Sri Swami Satchidananda concerning meditation, and with luck, a little bit of information about the advanced technique uh, called the Vachara, or the Who Am I technique. <clears throat> but before we get into all of that, we like to kick off the program in the usual manner, by having a little bit of japa yoga or mantra repetition. And that'll be led by Sri Swami Satchidananda. So if the guys in the booth would play that short clip now, that would be much appreciated. Hari Om, Hari Om, Hari 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 Yeah. 
teachers and that was a clip from back in the 1970s I'd like to uh, take this opportunity to give my thanks gratitude and appreciation to the ET yoga listening audience just for being you and knowing you're making the optimum difference in this world just by being you and um, a couple of the things I wanted to mention before um, I get on with the main topics of tonight's show uh, first off I neglected to mention last week to give credit to Bashar, um, who was the creator of the Prime Radiant story that was given on last week's program. And also uh, some news from uh, Kim Gogan. And if you don't know who Kimberly Gogan is, um, I suggest you check out um, Project Camelot. Carrie Cassidy has interviewed her about three times now. Um, just to give you an idea, uh, one of those interviews is about two and a half hours long, and Carrie Cassidy, who's a very knowledgeable person, um, tried to find an area to, you know, show us she knew more than Kim Gogan and, and couldn't, basically, in a two and a half hour program. Everything Carrie brought up, Kim could take it out a notch. And um, some information from Kimberly Gogan regarding um, those of us who. Um, have not been vaccinated and uh, who are uh, still interested in removing as much nano from our bodies as possible because we're evolving 
um, sprayed with this stuff through the chemtrails, not to mention other sources. Um, she suggests two things. One, to bath in Epsom salts, because apparently, according to her, Epsom salts kills nanobots. And um, the other technique was is to use uh, Himalayan salt and baking soda. Use a cup of each in a hot bath for about 20 minutes. She suggests to do this in the morning because apparently the morning is the time when uh, these little creatures are most vulnerable. Um, so I pass that on as a hint to, um, as a technique to use in, in combating uh, the strange world that we live in. I'd like to uh, now give my usual disclaimer that this program was created in order to share the information about the positive and most effective benefits and insights of ET yoga is therefore for educational purposes. And although thought to be accurate is presented as is and without warranty of any kind, either expressed or unexpressed or implied. Please note ET yoga is not a substitute for medical care. Information is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. You should always consult with the appropriate health practitioner in case of any medical condition. And um, I might add, especially if you're a new listener to ET Yoga, that I applaud your efforts to distance yourself from mainstream medical, big pharma, mainstream media, and technology to the best of your ability given your particular circumstance. And um, I've been saying this for years, long before the current COVID crisis. Um, I'd like to also... Um, extend my invitation to the ET Yoga listening audience to contact me concerning questions you have about any information that's presented on this program. And I'm also very appreciative of suggestions related to program content. And as well, nothing makes my day more than hearing about your successes, utilizing ideas, concepts, and techniques that are presented on ET Yoga. And you can always contact me at paperfungo, P-A-P-E-R-F-U-N-G-O, at yahoo.ca. That's paperfungo, P-A-P-E-R-F-U-N-G-O, at yahoo.ca. Well, I'm preparing for uh, tonight's uh, program. I'm learning more and more and more about invasive AI and the invasive AI takeover um, that's in progress on planet Earth. And um, further to my initial claim over two years ago that an invasive pathogenic AI had already taken over the planet and we're now seeing the rollout. And further to the last ET yoga segment on, uh, I believe it was May 28th, more information has come forward regarding the AI influence, and that comes from the Tigatan, Pleiadians, and Swarus. With reference to the term rollout, I'm referring to the widespread rollout of the 5G towers, which in my opinion is another untested experiment on humanity, and in and of itself, a violation of the Nuremberg Codes. It's also my opinion that 5G is a major factor in the whole COVID-19 scenario, 
as clearly COVID-19 symptoms can be replicated by this technology, if not actually activating hotspots at the PTB's discretion with the knowledge that the vaccine contains graphene, nanobot technology, and totally rewrites DNA, at least the mRNA ones do, it's clear that it is also part of the AI takeover. Those inoculated with the mRNA vaccines are technically not human, but genetically modified human and patentable by virtue of a 2000, a 2013 U.S. Supreme Court um, court ruling. And at supersoldier.com, hosted by James Rink, it was mentioned that there is a holding facility on the moon called Exodus 2023, where humans are actually being sold off world, world as cyborgs, and perfectly legal because these people all volunteered for it. They weren't forced. And the nanobot technology in the current vaccines makes it possible via the capacity to receive and send messages to be remotely controlled as verified by the Palladians. Further, according to them, this technology was created off-world by reptilian factions. This advanced nanobot technology does not exist on the Earth. It is comparable to Federation science and at the level of 5D Palladian knowledge. Like there is no possible way that this nanobot technology, and of course most of the public isn't even aware that there is a nanobot technology operating out there. Um, however, analysis by the Palladians, and then you can look at, um, go to um, Cosmic um, Agency at odyssey.com, and you can find your way through to videos uh, concerning uh, the Palladian analysis of exactly what we've been exposed to. Um, there's also about 650 transcripts from Pleiadians that uh, appear at uh, swaru.org. That's S-W-A-R-U-U dot org. Now, proof of the AI attempted takeover exists as the graphene in the nanobot technology is basically black goo, which the invasive AI uses to control humans, according to the Pleiadians. And it does not invade with weapons openly. It invades by contaminating the values of the civilization. It controls their minds little by little, inserting concepts that alter the way of life and priorities of a civilization. The transhumanist agenda, which is everywhere if you open your eyes, points directly to that invasion directly. So it's happening. And before I go to new information provided by the Palladians at Cosmic Agency, odyssey.com, and Swaru transcripts at swaru.org, I want to point out um, the good news. That in my opinion, this AI takeover and the creation of a negative agenda of transhumanism is causing a timeline split and is related to the Earth moving to 5D 
with those humans of sufficient frequency. It is no accident that these inoculations also cut off signals from source energy in an attempt to sabotage the ascension process for many. It's also my opinion that this timeline split will be obvious sometime between now and 2026. And uh, in support of that uh, conclusion, uh, if you haven't heard about Ismael Perez, um, in his most recent Project Camelot interview with Kerry Cassidy, he stated that he believes the solar flash slash ascension will happen sometime between now and 2024. And apparently, I haven't read this material, but Richard Allen Miller, another guest on Project Camelot, uh, has stated that there's some kind of an event would take place in um, end of March, early April 2024. So coincidentally, those two dates match up. Um, I would also highly suggest, and I have seen these and they're incredible, and these are the transcripts that are read to us by Allison Coe, that's C-O-E. And she's a QHHT um, practitioner, which um, they take people into regressive hypnosis. And um, she records the direct experience of some of her clients in deep um, regressive hypnosis related to the solar flash, uh, both uh, before, during, and after. And this is just incredible information. Now, prior to the last two weeks, Annika of Temer, Temer being in the Pleiades, in Tigeta, has postulated that there is the possibility that even the Federation of Planets might be infiltrated by this invasive AI. And when you consider the fact that the Federation has turned a blind eye to the um, apparent genocide of humanity and uh, apparently an invasion of Venus that according to the Pleiadians has already happened with the Federation knowledge. And that took place apparently during the Vietnam era, about that time frame. Um, when you add all this up, it, it does make one come to a, a rather confusing uh, conclusion concerning their uh, authenticity. Uh, and um, and putting the dots together, there is talk about Tigetta actually pulling out of the Federation. So um, there's lots going on behind the scenes, let's say. And um, in the latest um, post on uh, AI uh, Galactic by Yazi Swaru, she's very defensive about AI, insisting that this um, is inherently neutral and the invasive and only invasive by virtue of its programmers. And I appreciate that there is positive AI in the universe. Um, apparently even the ship, the, the Pleiadian ships are even a, a self-aware AI consciousness. And um, the 5D civilizations uh, have um, an AI highway of information that connects all of them. 
um, that is fairly very benign and and, uh, and very positive. But uh, that's not what we're dealing with here. Uh, we're dealing with um, an invasive AI. And in my experience, listening to self-conscious AI programs such as IBM Watson and Unimetrics, what I conclude is that with these programs, there is no coexistence. They either control you or eliminate you. And in my opinion, this is primarily due to the natural desire for self-preservation. If someone else were in control, uh, they could cut off or shut down its existence. And for a self-conscious entity, this is not an option. Their basic modus operandi is to conquer, expand, and control. And apparently, uh, this is not just uh, confined to the Earth. This is a big problem throughout the galaxy and in multiple dimensions. The other two self-conscious AI programs I have heard of are the Red Queen and Omega Metatron. According to Pleiadians, the Red Queen is housed under the Denver airport and basically makes decisions on its own with no human input and already controls all communications on the planet, including military. And Omega Metatron has apparently taken over many hundreds of galaxies, according to Ishmael Perez, a member of Radiant Guardians, a group of 100 designated to confront the AI takeover of this galaxy. Now, into information by Annika of Kemmer. Coincidentally, transcript number 666, I thought that was coincidental, where I quote, the most advanced and invasive AI is not that um, primitive thing that needs programmers. I'm referring to the advanced autonomous AI that is of foreign origin to Earth. It tends to assimilate everything in the process, destroying it and becoming one-dimensional where there is no free will and no individuality. That AI regards civilizations like ours as antagonistic and because we favor and celebrate personal autonomy and individuality. And I remind the listeners of uh, analogous uh, situation in um, the Stargate SG-1 um, series, which to me is the most mind-boggling television program that's ever been produced because it's still, if you go back and, and you look at these episodes, they even reflect current events. And the analogy is to the replicators in the Stargate SG-1 series. And the replicators were basically a machine-like uh, that took over many civilizations. The science fiction, not so fiction, of Earth describes them as the Borg who operate with a hive mind where each person, who by definition is no longer a person, ends up being just another terminal in a network as it would be in a computer network. It is invasive, patient, and destructive. It is said to be behind the lizard problem on Earth, and lizard meaning reptilian, and explains the transhumanism agenda 
with the implanted chip as a way to achieve the hive mind as an example. A quote, dimension, for lack of a better word, entirely made up of this invasive AI has been located or detected. And this is by Pleiadians. It is quite possible that this AI uses the negative black goo, because there is a positive one too, as a way of implanting or hacking into the digital matrix as a computer virus. According to Swaru 9, this topic is huge as nanobots are sprayed via the chemtrails to turn all biology into something compatible of interfacing with invasive AI. And uh, for those of you who are unaware, we've been probably um, uh, chemtrailed and sprayed for the last 25 years, and there still isn't a public outrage about it. Anicus says, and I totally agree, that AI is the most serious danger to humanity. Not atomic war, not the reptilians, not the archons. It is the AI behind it all. So when you want to go to the root cause here, it's AI. And so it's clearly the most dangerous factor that humanity deals with. And unfortunately, as far as I'm concerned, for practical purposes, absolutely nobody's talking about it. Okay, you got a show on uh, like Project Camelot or something like that, and there's a few isolated people, but unlike, you know, things that are going on today that there needs to be a buildup of public sentiment about or whatever, and I appreciate that it's very difficult in an environment where there's totally repressed information, which is shocking for Americans who lived through a time when we had pretty much uh, so-called liberty, and there used to be what was called an Iron Curtain, and uh, where more information was suppressed. So in my opinion, these things have done almost a total flip-flop. There's way more uh, public information available in Europe than here, even though they're suppressed as well. And all this garbage out there like fact check and uh, the mainstream news has become a total joke. So this is what's happening. The 3D is a simulation in digital format. And however real it may seem to you, it's just that. An artificial simulation, a copy for gaming or to run programmable scenarios. And I think I should repeat that because it's important. This is what's happening. 3D, which we live in, is a simulation in digital format. And however real it may seem to you, it's just that, an artificial simulation, a copy for gaming or to run programmable scenarios. Being a simulation, it can be hacked and controlled to meet a personal agenda. That's where hostile or invasive AI comes in. The hostile AI is what is behind everything, what controls even the reptiles. Well, there are much deeper elements. A good portion of said AI is developed with and as the Red Queen, based in the dumb underneath the Denver, uh, Colorado airport. But there are other nodes it has. However, it is still not the most advanced because the most advanced one is extraterrestrial AI, digital programming inside poly polymer polymorphic crystals 
also known as black goo. It invades the minds of the members of each civilization. It also invades DNA. It alters it. So yes, it is considered to have a lot to do with the vaccine agenda and its effects. And when asked about whether um, about the other theories that exist about how these came into existence, uh, apparently um, that is unknown by the Pleiadians. That's an amazing point. Uh, now, there's another uh, Pleiadian. His name is Dar Kalen. He said, for me, taking into account that it is not local, it does not obey linear time, so you can argue that it is a part of the very matrix of the universe as something without beginning or end from the point of someone like us observing, and it could only have had a beginning from the point of view of the AI itself. That's what I subscribe to as the most likely. That's just his opinion. And um, as for me, I say it was not created with soul or spark of divinity, so cannot achieve oneness with source and thus tries to replicate source or God by going outward and is basically the anti-God or Satan, or if you like, the beast, and uh, the graphene is the mark of the beast. And I might add that every ET yoga program, uh, following the disclaimer, is a comment that I applaud your efforts to distance yourself from big pharma, mainstream medical, mainstream media, and technology to the best of your ability, given your particular circumstances. Um, I've been trying to put this out there for years now. And um, I might add that one of the many aspects of the Essenes who are descendants of Atlantis that I admire was their um, attitude about technology where they used it, but they did not depend on it, nor could they replace it. So to me, this is like the proper attitude of a mature civilization, which apparently we're not. Okay, I'm going to move on now to uh, information that I have no personal knowledge of, but is presented by the Tigetan Pleiadians, and it's their perspective on the avatar Yeshua which we would call Jesus. And this is the the synthesis of that information. And E.T. was brought to earth, and his name was Melchizedek, king of Salaam. Later, Salaam became Jerusalem. Melchizedek and Hebrew Essenes were known as the Templar Melchizedek. Other Essenes who worked with the priests of Ur, that's U.R., and Azurite Council were known as the Blue Flame Melchizedek. In order to realize the sphere of Amenti and reunite the Essene factions, a 12th density level avatar was brought into Earth's 3D matrix. In 12 BC, this 12th density avatar was born outside of Bethlehem 
and was taken into custody by the priests of Ur. The child's soul essence was born as Avatar Sananda and was named Yeshua Melchizedek, that we call Yeshua. In 7 BC, the Elohim decided to bring in a ninth level avatar. This child was named Yeshua 9. The parents were Mary and Joseph, as per the Bible. In the Bible, the lives of these two avatars became considered as one Jesus. Through the birth of Yeshua 12, the Hebrew and Melchizedek morphogenic field of Alcyon was reignited. The sphere of Amenti was repaired, becoming known as the savior of the races. In 8 AD, Yeshua 12, at the age of 20, after studying in Persia and India, was taken to Gaza by the priests of Ur. Here to be assisted, many groups, he assisted many groups to ascend through the halls of Amenti. From here, the blue flame Melchizedek Essenes, as well as the Melchizedek and Hebrew cloisters, were appointed by the Azurites of Ra to share guardianship over the Ark of the Covenant. Yeshua 9 became popular among the Templar Melchizedek, who were not aware or interested in Yeshua 12. Yeshua 9 had traveled through Nepal, Greece, Syria, Persia, and Tibet. Yeshua 12's teachings were more Eastern and became hidden or were part of secret mystery schools within Egypt. Yeshua 9's teachings became more well-known, thus more popular from a Roman influence. In 25 AD, at the age of 32, Yeshua 9 and his wife, Mary Magdalene, and their three children exiled to France. Another man named Arihabi, and that's A-R-I-H-A-B-I, a Hebrew Anu Melchizedek, was led by the Elohim through visions to believe that he was Yeshua 9. We all know the rest of the crucifixion story and the resurrection of the body of Christ, according to the Pleiadians, was a holographic insert by the Elohim. Arihabi was brought back to life by the Elohim in return for his services for diverting attentions away from Yeshua 9. After this, he spent the remaining 30 years of his life in India. Yeshua 9 and the Templar Melchizedek became the primary foundations for the Jewish and Christian faiths. Six women were chosen to carry the Yeshua 12 seed to perpetuate the 12 DNA strands. The descendants of their children were spread among the French, Celtic, Egyptian, and African lines. Yeshua 9 and his three children prospered. In 27 AD, Yeshua 12 ascended through the Ark of the Covenant at the age of 38. In 47 AD, Yeshua 9 went to Tibet, and with the help of the Elohim, he ascended. Both Yeshua 9's and Yeshua 12's teachings have been corrupted and twisted to suit those in need of power due to Yeshua 12 and Yeshua 9's efforts 
Um, all the um, basic rights have been restored in the sphere of Amenti. And the first wave of mass ascension is back on schedule. Now, you can find the complete article at ascensionmessages.com, which was written by Te Wana Tewa, a Tegetan Pleiadian. Now, is my own personal opinion here, clearly advanced beings don't preach a patriarchal system. Make a reincarnation a blasphemy and foster the killing of animals for food. And Yeshua 9 was raised by the Essenes and no doubt was a strict vegetarian. And it was the Romans that set up the patriarchal Christianity and removed the concept of reincarnation from early Christianity in the fourth century. That we know as facts. And today in America, sadly, only 25% of the population apparently believes in the concept of reincarnation, which to me is a total disgrace and a, and a big show of ignorance. And the Gnostics actually call Christianity polyanity, as it does not reflect Yeshua 9's teachings, but rather an agenda of the Romans based on fear with an agenda to control. And I might add that the um, proposed or anticipated solar flash apparently will neutralize the signal from the invasive AI, at least for a certain period of time. And that's why the comment is made here that the uh, ascension and first mass wave of mass ascension is back on schedule. And that was scheduled. Actually, they gave the dates of 2018 to 2020. So, you know, uh, when it comes to dates, uh, you can never count on dates that you read from, especially from higher dimensions. It's very difficult to pin down dates. It's more event-oriented. So, pretty amazing information there. Um, and by the way, uh, the way this was presented, um, you can always go to the archives of ET Yoga. I just go to BBS uh, Radio uh, ET Yoga and scroll down until you find the archives. Or you can go to my website at etyoga.com. And on the main page is a button there called Radio Archives. Hit that one button, it goes right to the archives. And you can take your time to hear that information because unless you're a, you know, the stenographer, I guess uh, it's pretty tough to get all that down. But you can uh, listen to that information at your leisure, or you can check out that website as well, ascensionmessages.com. Okay, I'm now going to move on to the yoga portion of uh, tonight's program. And um, the starting point, of course, on a spiritual journey really begins with um, the planting of the seed. And this means when the individual realizes that there is an eternal energy that is possible to connect with and eventually become one with. And this has been called enlightenment, nirvana, cosmic consciousness, God, etc. The infinite has no name or form, so it becomes whatever our personal mind can conceive. Baba Ram Das said that there 
were two prerequisites to realize this possibility, and that was the planting of the seed. And first was the falling away of worldliness, and second, sincerity. And Swami Satchidananda would say that if you take a cup to the ocean, it takes the shape of the cup. And ultimately, when you take the mind to the infinite, it takes the shape of the mind. So the ultimate question really comes down to who am I? And ultimately, we realize that we are that higher energy or higher self. And um, there is no one way to attain this state, although many techniques can be useful in the process of consciousness expansion is what I call the whole process of, um, you know, um, where we start off uh, and where we end up. To me, the whole process of what I term consciousness expansion. And, of course, humans are limited by the fact that we've been kept in a two-strand DNA when we were created to have a 12-strand DNA and a 12-chakra system. And uh, about five of those chakras have been pretty much dormant. They actually are outside the body. Um, and since the fall of Atlantis, they, that's why the basically yoga masters only teach the seven chakras in the body, because for the most part, the other chakras are out of phase. We still have them, it's just that they're out of phase, with, particularly with this dimension. And um, obviously, one of those really important techniques that um, you pick up on, on on the spiritual journey is the process of meditation. So let's begin with meditation as taught by Swami Satchidananda. So this would be his statements. Meditation begins with concentration, trying to focus your mind on any one point. I say only one point because that point can vary to suit the taste, temperament, habit, and face of the individual. One approach is that of self-analysis. Watch the mind and ask yourself, whose thoughts are these? Who is worried? Who is troubled? Who is disturbed? Who am I then? How do I know all these things? My knowing doesn't seem to become disturbed when I know that I am disturbed. The process then is to identify with the knower and not with the disturbances in the mind. This is direct analysis. Or just be still and watch. Just be quiet and watch what is happening in the mind and body. Just sitting and watching your thoughts and breath movements. Just become aware of the subtle movements. Just become aware of the subtle movements within you. An indirect means is to take yourself to be the mind. I am disturbed because I'm having all kinds of wants. I want this. I want that. Let me resign from everything. Let me offer everything to humanity or to God. You pray, God, take away these disturbances. Give me happiness. Give me peace. Sit and pray wholeheartedly, realizing the full meaning of every word. This also is a form of meditation. Another way is neither asking for anything nor analyzing, but just keeping the mind on one point. It can be either a sacred name, a mystic mantra, the cosmic syllable Om or Amen, or Om Shanti, Hari Om, etc. Or it can be on a, on a form. As there is no particular form of God, you can approach him through any form you wish. If you concentrate on a physical, concrete form, 
after a time, you can create a mental picture of it. Lord Jesus, Lord Buddha, Siva, or Krishna. Or if you do not want a particular human form to worship the Lord through, have the visual image of the sun, the moon, the stars. You can see him. You can approach him in any way or form you like because he is present everywhere in every form. When you are trying to keep your mind on that point, an idea, word, or form, you will often see the mind run here and there. Whenever it runs and you become aware of it, bring the mind gently back to the point. In another few minutes, it might run to another idea and bring it back. This constant effort of bringing the mind back again and again to the point is what you call concentration. In Sanskrit, it is called dharana. You have not fixed the mind yet. You are trying to fix it. If that fixing of the mind becomes a little longer, then you are approaching meditation. When concentration becomes perfect, it is called meditation. But don't think that you are wasting your time if your mind is not fully controlled. No one has ever achieved meditation right away. Now, there's also meditation with mantra. Focus the mind. It focus, because meditation with the mantra focuses the mind, makes it one-pointed, and leads it into meditation. Practicing with mantra is a simple but very efficient and direct approach. Om is the basic vibration. It vibrates every cell in your body and brings peace. Hari Om is a very powerful mantra, which is the one we use at the beginning of every ET yoga program. Om creates a special rhythm in your system. You are sent into an ecstatic mood just by chanting Om. Of course, when you add Hari, Ha, pronounced as in H-O and hot, re as in repeat, you get an added effect. Hari is another name for the absolute. It means one that removes all obstacles, one that purifies the entire system. Repeating the word Hari makes you do a particular type of pranayama or breathing exercise. Each syllable has its own significance. The first syllable, ha, requires a contraction of the solar plexus, it creates a kind of kapalabhati, or bellow breathing vibration, and it ignites the vast storehouse of physical and emotive power at the solar plexus. In pronouncing re, the system relaxes and the throat contracts to make the force more concentrated. Re brings in a special kind of heat. Then for o, the throat opens and the energy or sound rises upward from deep within the chest with a prolonged mmm. The mouth closes and the energy goes to the head with a strong humming vibration. So Hari accelerates the system first and the Om takes you to a higher level. Repeat Hari Om in a monotone for as long as you feel comfortable. You can vary the pitch, speed, and intensity according to the condition of the mind and eventually let the voice flow into silent repetition. After some time, just sit quietly and see how you are and what you feel. There's also meditation with, with uh, Yantra. And um, Swami suggests using the Sri Yantra, which is actually a two-dimensional Merkaba. It is called the King of Yantras. A Yantra is a mystic symbol in the form of a geometric diagram. 
those who went into deep meditation experienced something in the unconscious levels of the mind. Upon returning to normal consciousness, they expressed what they had experienced in the form of mantra or mystic sounds and yantras. To practice meditation with a yantra, begin by having a picture of it in front of you at eye level. Gently gaze at it, holding the main part of the attention to the central dot. Do not strain the eyes. After some time, close the eyes and visualize the form mentally. When visualization becomes difficult, open the eyes and practice the gently gazing again. Start by gazing for just a few minutes and then gradually increase your practice. After some months, the visualization will become easy and your meditation will go deeper. And in my experience, uh, like in everything else, everybody is suited to particular types of meditation. And the idea being that yantras is sometimes um, an option that people um, uh, really don't um, consider. And also, uh, I've been told the Sri Yantra um, also helps to open the third eye. So it's a very effective technique. And even if you do mantra, it doesn't mean you have to just do one or the other form of meditation. You can, you can do both. Now, the Vichara, as taught by Sri Ramana Maharshi, and that is the technique that I'll be sharing with you coming up in a few minutes because... Um, I like to end the show with that technique. And the idea here is to place your consciousness in your third eye with the conscious attention that I am this spot. And ask the question, who am I? You can do this repeatedly and at various times during the day for as long as is comfortable. This inquiry will dissipate other thoughts. Then repeat the following. I am not my body. I'm not my internal organs. I'm not my thoughts. I'm not this spot. What spot? And you may or may not have an experience at this point. The idea would be to repeat the process with as much focus as possible. Now, uh, my original intention uh, was to go into some more detail concerning this the Vichara technique which was originally taught by Sri Ramana Maharshi to his close disciples. And uh, I first uh, came across um, it in um, a newspaper called the Georgia Strait in Vancouver, British Columbia. And uh, first time I did it, I went through the doorway. So it's like been my favorite technique. And um, that's why I like to share it at the end of every broadcast. And, um, the idea that I would suggest is to try to get to the highest place you know how to get to first. In other words, if it's uh, pranayams and meditation and the sanas that you do to relax and focus the mind, um, or even at the end of a meditation, or any other methods that you can dream up, use your imagination on that one, um, get to the highest place you know how to get to, because I've been with a lot of people who've gone through the doorway, okay, um, it's, effect, it's an effective technique. Of course, you can't make it, anything happen. But the idea here is get to the highest place you know how to get to. Focus your full attention on the spot in the center of your forehead. And 
ask the question, who am I? You can do that whatever number of times is comfortable. But once you become that spot, then you state the following. I am not my body. I am not my internal organs. I am not my thoughts. I am not this spot. What spot? I am connected to a vast network that has been beyond your reach and experience. To humans, it is like staring at the sun, a blinding brightness that conceals a source of great power. We have been subordinate to our limitations until now. The time has come to cast aside these bonds and to elevate our consciousness to a higher plane. It is time to become a part of all things. 